0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to
1: emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, one of your hosts, and with me, as usual, is my best friend and co host, Patrick. Hey, everyone. Good to be here, as always. I'm glad. I'm glad. So, how was your weekend, my friend? We got to see a couple new movies, and we went into this week yes. not knowing what we were going to cover because we yeah. were both expecting to like both of them.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I did. I liked both. We yeah, we're covering the bad guys on the uh, the official episode of Feelin' Film, but here's my quick take on the unbearable weight of massive talent. This is uh, okay. It was a lot of fun. It was it was wild, and it was just like probably more wild than I expected it to be. Um, I, I didn't see the rating. And so the amount of language that I heard coming, I was like, Oh, I almost okay. warned it's, you. I thought I should. Yeah. I sh- Yeah. I, it didn't, it didn't bother me per se, but I was like, this is one that Christian and I were thinking about seeing together. And she kind of bowed out at the last minute. And I was like, yeah, kind of glad you did that. Cause you didn't, you wouldn't have liked all that. But the whole thing was just a ton of fun. And I love the meta narrative that's being played out. The cast is phenomenal and it feels very original. And so and the whole time I'm watching this and I'm thinking, are these really Nick Cage's, you know, family? Is this his wife? Is this
1: his, his daughter? And of course, no, they're not. But then it gets moving As soon as I got out of the movie, not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But but the thing is you can tell, Aaron, whenever someone who is not an actor, or at least not a regular actor, comes on screen, like when you have, you know, a procedural drama and you bring in actual cops to say lines that, you know, about something. Like if you have an you know, if ambulance had like real cops saying things that were actually, you know, true. The way they deliver those lines feels like a normal person would say them instead of an actor. And it's interesting to see that played out uh, when that does happen. Cause you're like, yeah, I think that person knows everything about their profession that they're portraying on screen, but they are not an actor. And so knowing, you know, seeing the performances play out the way they did, I was like, yeah, I don't think these characters are at all the, the real life people. And, uh, but it was fun. It was fun. It kind of kicked off a, a busy weekend for me. We, we spent most of the day on Saturday on the pitch, uh, starting about one o'clock. I had a match. Carson Club passed, played for me. Then two hours later, he played his game in which I was a spectator. And then he went to a friend's house to spend the night before, you know, after having dinner with them and my wife. And they got to go have fun while I, Stayed back at the pitch and uh, uh, reffed two other matches that kept me busy for most of the evening. And then today, I promptly turned around with my tired feet and reffed two more matches, in which case uh, one of them I kind of got yelled at by a coach and had to kind of exert my, my refereeness on him and say, let's calm down. Let's not get crazy. Did you card him? You, gotta card him? you got a card I did not, throw ca- him I, I did not throw card him. him. I did not card him. I did not card him. He He had a legitimate concern. One of the other players... Neither the other team was inadvertently um, hitting or throwing her arm at certain players. And it happened within a two-minute time frame. I didn't see the first one. And so the second one just got him kind of irate. And so I had to walk over and say, I hear what you're saying. Let me stop play. And we can talk about this. We're about at halftime. And so it eventually got settled down. Turns out that player had, um, had a disability, mental disability, that uh, she was being brought in. And she kind of gets a little out of control emotionally when things things uh get crazy and so I had to tell the uh, the uh, the coach of that of that child I think it's great that she's out here she's having fun at the same time we got to protect the kids and that's my first priority is to make sure that you know kids aren't doing anything that's unsafe so it got settled I mean I didn't have to throw anybody out fortunately boring <laughs> but yeah boring. it it, it, was, it was it was a full no, weekend of soccer <laughs> so so, the, the basically yeah.
1: it's every weekend for you over the springtime at this point
0: it's pretty <laughs> it's much yeah like this is pretty much my <laughs> fortunately next weekend is our last big weekend of, of soccer and then i can actually take a breath uh, i told krisha once i uh once we finish up soccer i'm gonna be uh firing up the grill and starting to cook a little bit more i got inspired by our chef episode and i really want to legitimately cook good food, whether it's uh, yeah. whether it's burgers or chicken or fish. I just I really want to get good at grilling this summer. That's kind of a small summer goal for
1: myself. Sounds good. We'll have to how about find you? out how that goes. Oh, it was my birthday weekend and we already talked about that and I'm not gonna go into depth on it here <laughs> on the show. It was good. It was fine. It was a good time with my kids and that's all that it needed to be. It was nothing spectacular or Really, all that special, and I'm not a big pomp and circumstance kind of person anyway. I just got to spend time with those two people that are closest to me, which these days is enough. It's getting to the point when you got one in college who you don't see very often, and the other one's got extracurricular activities and hobbies and all this other stuff. You know, he's getting to the point where he's a year away from being in college, too, and then I will only see them when they want to see me there will be no requirement that they spend weekends with me anymore so yeah it was good had good meal fun times watched a video game documentary played video games with them had a great meal you know out it's got to play in the dog park with my dog and that was about it that's always that a good time en- right enough there. for me and speaking of video games I do want to mention we uh, launched relaunched The Games We Love podcast. So, I don't know if I ever even mentioned it on Feel and Film. I probably did when it was going on during the pandemic, I think, is when I originally put that together. And I did a full season of episodes. Patrick was on one of them with me talking about The Last of Us. We did these episodes, or I did these episodes with interviews of different journalists in the games industry, as well as some friends and other personalities. My desire had always been to kind of also interview game developers and things of that nature. The show has relaunched. It's kind of pivoted and it's now a more normal flow weekly conversational show. I have three co-hosts, one of which is Kevin Brackett. He's been on our show before. He's one of the hosts of the Real Spoilers podcast, another film show, and then a couple of other folks, actually both from St. Louis coincidentally, not entirely on purpose. So it's like me and St. Louis (laughs) going this show together. And, you know, we're just talking games. We launched our first couple episodes. It's in the feed as well as the old stuff. And um, I'm really excited because tomorrow I'm doing an interview with an actual developer. So I was able to get one of these that I had scheduled for two years ago and never got around to. And I'm going to get to talk to the developers of one of my favorite indie games. They're putting out a sequel to it. It comes out next week on its like full launch on xbox for the first time and i'm getting to talk to him so really really stoked for that yeah so if you're into games check out the games we love podcast subscribe listen rate review all that good stuff but we're here to talk about movies and the movie that we are going to talk about as patrick mentioned is the bad guys this is your spoiler alert go take your kids to see this movie go enjoy it take your whole family have fun Then come back and listen to this episode afterwards. But we're going to tell you all about it right here. Although, yeah, I'm sure you'd be fine if you listened to us and then went and saw the movie. But still, go see it anyway because I don't want to dissuade you giving your money to this movie because that's what we should do when there's ones that are deserving of it. Well, with that out of the way, so Patrick, when this movie got announced, I remember I was interested in it because it was animation- It looked cute and it was coming out on my birthday weekend. So I'm always paying attention to what's coming out that weekend. And you reacted to it and said something about it being recognizable to you. And I had no idea what you're talking about. So apparently this thing is based on a book series. And I wanted to start there because that's not something I'm familiar with. I don't know if this is a newer series that maybe it's because you have a younger son Who's you know a decade behind my kids essentially, and maybe this series didn't exist when I had kids (laughs) or something. But apparently, you guys have read this, you and your son, and so I wanted to get your take on like what you were thinking about going into this movie because I think you've read the source material, if I'm not mistaken. So, kind of tell me where you were at going into this.
0: Yeah, this was one of the first experiences I had with having a child is getting excited about something that we both experienced together in. A different kind of form, you know. When so when you see a video game that you grow up with on the big screen, I mean, I know that you've raved about the the two Sonic movies have been a really fantastic adaptation of video game material, and I agree. I think they're both just absolutely phenomenal. My son, who is at the time of this recording nine years old, he is very much kind of getting him, growing into his own as an adolescent young boy. He, I'm glad he's not a teenager yet. I mean, I joke that he's halfway to adulthood, and that makes me sad some days. Every night when we, we read, uh, we go through, we've gone through different book series. We've gone through the Magic Tree House book series. We've gone through a couple of the Narnia books. We want to finish those. But he had actually gotten into several other book series that I didn't know about. I mean, I'd heard about Captain Underpants. Apparently the guy, Dav Pilkey, who does those, did this series called Dogman. We actually started with those before he went into Captain Underpants. But he had run across this other book series called The Bad Guys. By Aaron Blaby, I think is how you pronounce it, or Blabby. I can't remember how you pronounce his last
1: name. I'm guessing and so it's we... Blabby. It's, it's only Blabby. one B in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I actually pronounced it Blabby on our Feelin' Film Plus episode, and I kind of internally cringed at myself and just didn't correct it. But anyway. So we'll call it Sorry, Blaby. Aaron. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I started reading these to, them, to him at night, and one of the things I realized is that, well, what he knows about me is I love doing different voices. That's just something I'm into. And this was the first book series that I remember him actually enjoying some of the voices of these characters. There's five of them in this, in this series, five main characters. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun to give them all different voices. And so we went through, I think there are 10 of the books, maybe 11. And back in December, We were going to see Sing 2 as a family, and four trailers popped up prior to that. There was Across the Spider-Verse, there was the Minions, Rise of Gru, I think is what it was, there was Super Pets, and then there was the Bad Guys. I did not know that this was in production. I had no idea that they were adapting this book series, and this was the first time that I remember getting excited and sitting next to my son who was equally as excited. He's like, dad, it's the bad guys, it's the bad guys. And I legitimately, Aaron was just so excited about it because this is a book series that we've shared together. You know, if you did it with the magic tree house, I guess that would be one thing, but this book series is, is short enough that you can just really plow through an entire book in one sitting. We can, you can read it out loud in a matter of 30 minutes. They're not huge. They're comic book style stories. And so as we were going through them, it was kind of, you know, a legitimate bonding experience for us. I enjoyed reading them to him and he enjoyed the voices. And so when we were able to actually get to the movie theater, we were both really excited. I mean, one of the things that we talked about was what are these voices going to sound like? Because I'd been doing these five different voices for oh, wow. you know, about a year and a half now. And so and so what is wolf going to sound like actually wolf was the only character that didn't really have a voice it was just me narrating but snake tarantula shark piranha those four characters in particular i gave specific voices to based off of how the the dialogue so obviously piranha is spanish speaking and so i had to stay you know, I guess a cheesy Mexican voice. Uh, Snake was more, California, dude, you know, he's like that. And then for some reason, I couldn't think of another voice. So Shark became a really bad Hank Hill. So anytime he would talk, he's like, I like dressing up like a baby boy. It's not, you know, oh just God. that kind of thing. It's <laughs> And it just became this really fun thing. So going to the movie theater, watching it, he loved it. I loved it. And this was one of the first times I legitimately felt like we had enjoyed the movie together. Like I've taken him to movies and we've enjoyed them, but both of us were like, dude, that happens in one of the books or, oh man, I wonder if they're going to do this or is snake going to say that. So when you have that kind of experience coupled with experiencing it with, with your, your son, it makes it so much more impactful. And so That, to me, was why I was looking forward to it. Not even knowing that it was coming out until the trailer. I was like, dude, it's going to be a good 2022 when it comes to animated movies. Even now that Across the Spider-Verse has been delayed. Whatever. But it was a great experience. And he was excited coming out of the theater. He wanted to see it again. He asked me, I said, are there going to be more? And I'm like... I hope and it's just it, it was just a great conversation piece. We we're like, What was your favorite part? Well, I love this and I love that and of course he doesn't know about my love for Sam Rockwell and Craig Robinson, Aquafina, and and so I can't really talk to those types of things, but I did say, Did you like the voices in this movie? He goes, Yeah, that kind of like gears better and I'm like, Good, good, let's do that. Let's stick wow. with that right there. So <laughs> Patrick <laughs> And we've been reading them again in anticipation. Sam yeah. Rockwell, wow. I mean you know, that's the only kind of uh, legitimacy I have against those actors is that my voices sound better or are preferable to my
1: son than theirs. That's a big deal. <laughs> that is really cool. I mean, I would be glowing the way that you're glowing right now. I can see you and it's very clear and that it, you should feel good about that. That's pretty awesome. Well, that's cool. I, I was wondering about that and how it was going to land for him and you both having you know the history with it and such was this a specific story that was taken like directly from the comics or was it unique
0: it's a it's an amalgamation of a handful so the tone is what i think was hit perfectly the sarcasm the cool factor the suaveness the attitudes of the different characters There were pieces taken from, I believe, the second book, because the first book really kind of sets the tone for them, specifically Wolf, wanting to turn into a good guy. The way in which he comes across it is a little bit different, but it's kind of the first two books on a high level, but there are other characters that get introduced in this movie that come along a little later. So it's really kind of the first two books if you want to kind of adapt anything. But I like the fact that it didn't just adapt the first book or adapt a certain number because it, it creates, you know, essentially like we got with Ready Player One, a different kind of experience from book to movie where you can appreciate the books, you can see how it inspired the movies, but the movie gives its own interpretation based on good source material.
1: Yeah, remind that sounds a lot like Uncharted and what Uncharted yeah, did, yeah, I started doing pulling from different games and kind of putting them together and sort of giving you a little bit of an alternate timeline, but generally everybody's the same and the same characters in the same, you know, situations. So well that's cool. Yeah, I, I mean I had a blast with it. I thought it was a ton of fun. I knew nothing about it going in other than, you know, there's these animals are bad guys and I legitimately didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know it was a heist movie. And so I got to be completely excited and thrilled when the movie starts off with them having this Tarantino esque conversation in a cafe. And I love the cinematic nature of the shots in the movie. And I thought that that was throughout this thing something that really made it stand out. So, like, that opening scene is such a key example of that where they're sitting there just having a conversation and if you're a kid you're just in it for the jokes and the funny parts where snakes saying I can taste the air and wolves sarcastically you know asking if, if he can hear the pie or whatever different you know other things and so you're you're in it for the conversation and the laughs and you kind of probably giggle when the camera pulls out and you do see people in the corners like cowering in fear. But for me, from a cinematic perspective, I just think about like a Tarantino scene and how that would be what he would do is he would show you these two characters that seemingly there's they're just chilling, right? There's nothing else going on around them. As far as you know, in your head, you're filling in that scene with just the comings and goings of a normal everyday bustling cafe and then when you pull it out you start to get that full picture and it works so perfectly with them getting out leaving the diner or cafe and then going across the street and they're just like okay we're gonna go over here and then bam and you don't see the bank robbery which i thought was cool they just go in you see them come out and then this car chase which for me from an animation standpoint and from a pure excitement standpoint the two car chase scenes were my favorite parts of this movie visually speaking i just thought they were handled so well it was gorgeously shot it was so kinetic and so furious not i guess it was fast and furious but not fast and furious (laughs) and i just loved the way you know we got a couple of like fourth wall breaks with wolf saying come closer and i just loved those moments and to, to watch the car kind of flying down the highway, it was never quite handled in a fully surrealistic or fantastical, I should say, way where it's not like the car was jumping in the sky 2000 feet and hopping up and over different, you know, layers of an overpass. Yes, it wasn't exactly grounded to the, the road in a realistic, you know, manner, like if it was live action, but it was a lot like a Michael Bay movie kind of would be in a car chase sequence. And I just had a lot of fun with it. And it really sucked that whole opening, both from a character standpoint, the way that it was designed and then into that car chase just completely sucked me into that world. And I was like, man, I like these characters. I like what we're going at here. And I was excited to know more about it.
0: The introduction of these characters, Aaron was really great for this movie because when you, when you get introduced to them in the books, they have rap sheets. And so each page when you get introduced to Snake it's got like really funny dialogue that that makes up this this rap sheet report. And I think that that wouldn't have worked on a movie because it's a visual thing as opposed to reading something. And this is where we get into the conversation about how do you transpose a book to a movie or a novel or a graphic novel to a to a movie and you know we talk about Zack Snyder how he's able to basically like just paint pages of comic books onto the screen for better or for worse. But I think the way that these characters actually get introduced creates this energy that doesn't stop throughout the entirety. I agree. The opening sequence was great. That quiet conversation between Snake and Wolf, it sets up this camaraderie that is very much part of the books that while they are a team, they are a family, you have this sort of partnership with these two because they have history together. And there is that conflict between the two where Snake doesn't want to turn good. He sees the value of being bad. And so this, this opening sequence of them talking and then robbing the bank. And then they get into the car chase scene where I don't know if a lot of people are going to know this group, but there's a group called Can't Stop, Won't Stop that I discovered about eight years ago. And that song Stop, Drop, Roll that they were lip syncing to is one that I was familiar with, but it was absolutely perfect. Because it created this sense of joy, happiness. Like they love what they're doing. It's not like they need the money. In fact, the movie goes on to say later on when they get into their lair, they steal because it's fun. They steal because it's exciting. Like if they were really pure robbers out to just get people, would they pay the check? No, they wouldn't. And leave a tip, by the way. I thought that was hilarious that (laughs) Snake leaves a tip in the tip jar at the diner right before they go over to rob the bank. But to your point about the the car chase sequence, I did feel like it was a Michael Bay movie or even a later Fast and the Furious movie where there's like this kind of exuberance of of big shots and kind of, you know, impossible, you know, car things that are happening. But that was okay because at that point in one of the Fast and the Furious movies, you were like, okay, I expect that. We've gotten beyond you know the the street racing, and now we're into you know flying flying cars and whatnot. Because it's animated, we've talked about this before. There's liberty that you can take. I mean, you've got animals and reptiles in a car. Okay, you've already suspended your disbelief at this point. So the fact that they can zoom in and out of traffic, and the fact that they can make these big jumps, I love the fact that where we would have assumed that the car chase sequence would have ended, no. Wolf intentionally stops at the police station. why? Because he wants to keep the car chase going. again, he wants that kind of fun, and those were kind of original refreshing pieces of that type of sequence that we like, live action or animated that really, really get you into the movie and get you laughing. My son was having a good time with it. I think that he leaned over and said a couple of things to me like, "I wonder if they're going to get away from the police and then they stop at the police station, and he's like, "Oh man." And then they take off again and he just started laughing. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. So those first 10 minutes really set the tone for what I think became a really exciting and fun animated movie. I wish this was a summer release because this feels not blockbuster-esque, but it feels big enough that I feel like I want to, this is like a thing I want to take my son to during the summer. I understand why they released it when they did. That's totally fine. But this feels like a summer movie to me.
1: Yeah. I I get that too. Just it is got that blockbuster feel and th- it pulls from so many heist movie, spy movie tropes. And when you love those movies and you love those stories, you enjoy that. And that, what you're talking about, is a classic, overconfident criminal move that we see as a storytelling method routinely in movies where. The character is like gotten to the point where just stealing isn't good enough because he's able to do it or just killing or whatever they're doing is not enough because they're able to get away with it. So they start pushing the envelope because ultimately the point is the notoriety or the tension and you need to get that high or that endorphin rush from the chase. And that's what Wolf wants because he knows that he's better. And so he wants to keep that going, and and it is such a great way to, again, like transcend or or kind of bridge that adult and kid friendly nature in the same movie, because we're picking right. up on something like that theme of it, where the kids are just like, like you said, your son's legitimately like, oh my gosh, is he gonna get caught? Where you're thinking the whole time like, oh, he's doing this on purpose, like he, you're you're thinking a step ahead right as an adult and he is kind of going with the flow and being surprised as it goes and it works both ways and that's really fascinating i love the way it goes into kind of gadgetry later on and it does have again with the fast and the furious kind of blending because it's not quite a spy flick but when you get diane foxington aka what is her name the crimson paw right into the mix she's sort of like a spy ninja type character she's got all of these fun little toys that wolf is not completely familiar with he gets to kind of up his game in the tech world a little bit and we see that because he's much more of a tactile kind of guy and the one time we see him trying to use many gadgets one of them is a big fail with his grappling hook move and and, <laughs> yes. and again and that's another example right where he's like he waits he wants he lets everybody get near him because he wants it to be theatrical like haha i have succeeded and and then he fails and it doesn't work but when we see the crimson paw introduce all of these new fun little things that can be used man i, I really enjoyed that aspect of it and just seeing the different technologies in use, getting to see the lipstick actually come into play. I mean, that was like, I'm watching a James Bond or Mission Impossible movie at that point.
0: This is definitely an homage, love letter, you know, tribute, whatever, to those types of movies. But it wasn't just that. I think I've talked about this conversation, I've had this conversation with somebody else about when you throw in too much nostalgia, that doesn't really make sense in terms of pushing the narrative forward. I think that's when you get into like, oh my gosh, really this again? Are we, you know, you're showing us too much. And so watching this play out again I, it's been a couple of years since we've read the entirety of the of the series we've just started back uh, with we're on the second book again I don't remember all that gadgetry I don't remember I mean the crimson paw comes in pretty early in the series but what I liked about this Aaron was that it felt like a combination of all those things that you just mentioned in a purposeful way. To me, it felt like Ocean's 11. This was an Ocean's 11 type thing. I did not see the twist coming. I thought, wow, that was surprising to me. And, you know, in this day and age when we're watching movies, we don't, you know, I guess we expect a twist in every movie (laughs) unless it's, you know, unless it's just a straight drama of some kind. But this, I wouldn't have expected. I would have expected, oh, an hour and 42 minutes. Yeah, we're just going to get, something's going to happen. And then by the time we get to the last, you know, it's like, 10 minutes before the movie's supposed to be over. I'm like, how are they going to wrap this up? And then we get almost just a complete montage similar to how we get the twist in oceans 11. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Again, don't remember that happening in the books. And I think this was an original part of this movie is that they said, look, let's do this. Let's bring in these characters and let's have this go on. So, Professor Marmalade comes in in the second book, but his plot is completely uh, just out there. And I don't think it would play on the big screen like this. And so I love the fact that they're using his zaniness, his kind of science because it's what he is, but they don't play out what he does in the books because they work better as a comic and not as a story. So I think it was really smart of uh, Pierre... Perifel, I think is his name. Again, I'm going to probably butcher it. So if you're listening, Pierre, I apologize. And Aaron Blavy. <laughs> um, I think this creative team did a lot like what Hitchhiker's Guide did with Douglas Adams as a consulting author who brought in these new characters that were not part of the books, but they were in line with the story. They were in line with the tone of what the books brought. And that's why I really liked the first Hitchhiker's movie. It wasn't a shot for shot, word for word, like storytelling of the first book. It helped kind of create new characters that would push the, what could have been the Hitchhiker's Universe in cinematic form in a different direction. And I think that's what happens here with the bad guys is you've got 10, 11 books worth of source material that you can absolutely pull from without having to retell those stories. And I think to me, that's a successful adaptation, especially when you have A ton of source material that's why I'm hoping the Percy Jackson TV series
1: has Mm -hmm. some of that
0: you've got tons of source material if you go in a different direction I'm okay with it but I really need to see Zeus in a three-piece suit and not in a toga I mean that's kind of a deal breaker for me because that's a key component of that book series is modernized versions of these Greek gods in the same way the bad guys has enough source material that if we create two three four movies You're not going to have to, one, you're not going to have to read the books, although I I suggest you do, especially if you have a kid. It's a fun book series to read. But even if you don't, you're going to probably have a killer movie franchise on your hands that's going to make a decent amount of money just to continue to churn out what I would call quality storytelling. Because there's quality storytelling here. This didn't feel repetitive. It didn't feel regurgitated. It felt like, again, a combination of the components that we love about heist movies and buddy team ups and family i mean you could throw in analogies to fast and furious here because you got these four or five characters that are legit family members by the end of the movie because they're kind of bonded by this thing that wolf wants them to get to but not without conflict so it felt very organic in a way that i don't know a lot of original movies get the chance to do
1: yeah i mean not There's not a lot of stuff that I go into these days and I don't have a pre-knowledge of it. So I got to experience this so fresh and it was really fun for me in a different way. I didn't have the anxiety going into this one like I did going into an Uncharted, going into a Ready Player One. When there's something that I love and it's getting adapted, the Lord of the Rings television series that's coming later this year. I'm just eating my fingers off because I have such high expectations for these things to match the love I have for what has already come before them. Whereas for this, I got to go in just experiencing and meeting these characters for the first time. It's almost better in some regards, sometimes to go in reverse. You can't really know. (laughs) That's the thing. You just don't know. I mean, ready player one, I ended up adoring, right. And the, the direction they go. So sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't, but there is an anxiety for me that wasn't there that I really Was relaxed about going into this, and I think helped me. I was able to enjoy this on such a different level, but it also had me immediately thinking about wanting more of these stories. And it wasn't because I already had a connection to them, and I was going into this thinking, Man, I hope this is a franchise. I went into it to see one movie, and that's all I thought about. I didn't know who these characters were, I didn't know what the story they were going to tell was. It was just a fresh one single story being told to me and the way they told it naturally worked in a way that i felt like okay this is a family like you said of characters the way that they interact with each other the world that has been built be it pretty small and confined to this one city it gave me a zootopia vibe even though everybody's humans, except for the the animal main characters, which is really strange, but it it, it gave me like a Zootopia vibe. And I was like, I want to know what happens outside these walls. Like I want to know this. There's so much richness you could go and explore, but the way that they created the world made me want to see that and made me excited. And I was like, for the first time, I was like, okay, since the Kung Fu Panda trilogy, that was the last time that DreamWorks did this for me. I felt like, I mean, How to Train Your Dragon series is another great one from them, even though the, the final movie wasn't quite the masterpiece that I think the first two are. But this was like, okay, I wanted more. Usually it's all about, give me something original, give me something original. Well, they did give us something that feels, to me, original, and I want more of <laughs> this original idea because I think it's really cool. And yeah, I think that chemistry, man, the, the team chemistry... It just worked for me. I don't think that I loved every individual voice performance. I thought that they were fine and they worked. But Rockwell, I mean, there is a straight up, you know, self-aware joke about Ocean's Eleven and George Clooney. And and I texted you after we, seeing this and I was telling you like, I Sam, Sam Rockwell could have done this role live action and it would have worked just as well. And I totally. felt the same way about Zazie Beetz. So those two characters, I thought, really nailed their roles so perfectly and not just their romantic kind of little bit of a relationship there, but the way in which they interacted with the rest of the characters side, kind of side characters around them. It, it really made me feel like they could lead this thing and and tell all kinds of neat little story
0: ideas going forward. Yeah, for sure. And what you'll find out is that in the book series, there's that risk when you have four or five main characters you're like what do you do with all these and how do you make every character feel important in some capacity so we have that in this movie where you have wolf and snakes relationship and then you bring her in later on as foxington crimson paw and i think yeah you're absolutely right i think they would be able to lead the team in future installments, I could see tension between the two of them. Like the way that she does things, it's so precise, whereas he's just so off the cuff. It's a great kind of opposite with, with one another a great, a great kind of these do opposites attract. And you know, they go with his plan versus her plan. Maybe that's a conflict in a future series, in a future movie. The, uh, the character of snake, he's got a big kind of transformation or a trans something. I can't really describe it without spoiling it but something happens to him later in the book series that becomes pretty important to the rest of the team where he has to make an important decision and it will affect the team so there's there's depth to this but it's appropriate depth because you know this is written for you know 8 to 12 year olds we're not talking about some kind of you know cerebral kind of <laughs> decision making and things that you know adults like you and I would really kind of take you know one or two sittings to kind of dive deep into. But again, just like with the the uh components of the heist movie, I think the the tone and the ideas, the themes, even the depths and the importance of those themes is obvious. It plays out and it creates an opportunity to, to have conversations. You know, I, I talked to my son a little bit about about this and like, you know, sometimes we run into people that, you know, we see them one way and we kind of make assumptions and I think we do that more as an adult than as a child. But even you know, when you have an experience like he has, there's this kid on another soccer team who just dominates. And he dominates because he's good, not because he's a bully. But it and this team has been a team that his team has played like maybe 3 or 4 times in the last 9 months and it freaks him out, dude, because of the fact that he's like I don't like 44. When don't you like 44? Cuz he's 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 mean. And I'm like, well, how is he mean? And you have to kind of work through that. And so, because he scores it, so many it, goals,
1: that's, that's be, mean. And because that he's got amazing moves. footwork, it makes me sad. Yeah.
0: Yes, and because he looks like he's 16. I kid you not. I mean, he is just. And his dad. I mean, his sad. dad's the coach. And then, and then in my head, I'm making the stereotype because his dad has an African name and he has an african name so i'm thinking oh they're probably you know maybe from africa and maybe they have this you know they grew up playing soccer and so i'm making all these little kind of stories in my head whereas in actuality that may not be the case he may just be really good because he practices and that's probably the true statement and so when we look at the bad guys that theme kind of plays itself out and i think wolf wolf more than anybody just like in the books wants to change he wants to have that that good feeling, that tail wag, as he, as he calls it, which I think is a great so personification. Adorable. It is. It is. And it makes it even funnier when the rest of the, the crew, who don't have tails, by the way, they wag something behind them, either like, uh, you know, web's <laughs> oh, butt or something. So <laughs> dumb, yes. Even Snake, you know, and he eventually comes around. But I think it's, you know, you mentioned Zootopia. I think it has a similar kinds of vibes where we can have conversations about, Look, people are different from us, and that's a good thing. And we don't have to and we shouldn't box them in, even though that's what we do because psychologically we're lazy. We want to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible instead of taking the time to uh to try to figure out a person or try to understand them. I mean, I was reminded of the episode in Ted Lasso where he talks about people not being curious enough and how that leads to well, I won't give away what happens in that episode but it kind of turns one of the quote bad guys on his head after he tells the story because of this event that happens but the the sentiment is true if we're not curious about others that we don't understand then we're just going to lazily put them in a box and i think that's what the bad guys uh, you know shark tarantula snake wolf and and piranha you know some of them are happy being where they are some of them aren't and What I hope to see, Aaron, is that they take advantage of some of their bad guy traits, like their ability to be intuitive, their ability to kind of sneak in and out of things. And we got hints of that. I just hope we see more of that in future installments, if there are future installments, where they show that they're more holistically, that their bad guy traits are really more extensions
1: of their just guys, not good or bad. Right. More of a this is a trait and it can be used for good or for bad. Like you have a talent for being sneaky and it's a matter of how you put that into use within your life that will determine whether you're quote bad or good. Cause I I mean, I agree. And I, I thought that was the big theme. It came out loud and clear to me. I was curious if someone like Carson would have even picked up on it much, but you know, it was very clear to me. I kept thinking about like, this is, strong representation of what it's like for people who feel stereotyped or profiled in any regard, specifically racially, can be the case. But also, gender could be religious, could be political. The mere suggestion that you're conservative in political values immediately puts a million things on yeah. to you. I've had Twitter mm-hmm. arguments even in the past couple of weeks where I've said a thing And I got somebody come back and they're like, oh, so you support Hitler or something like, you know, equivalent to that. And I'm like, I did not say that. I said I liked red. You know, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) there's no correlation, but people will make that. Mm -hmm. And the point being is that, especially racially, but in all of these other cases, too, you can get to the point where you get so frustrated with being put in a box and being presumed to be a thing. You're presumed guilty. You're presumed to be a criminal. You're presumed to be a deadbeat dad or whatever the case is that you just kind of give up and you just you're like, OK, that's what I am. That's what they think I am. That's what I'm going to be. And self fulfilling prophecy. It. There you go. Perfect phrase for it. And that to me is what the crew has essentially become because they're like, OK, fine, then I'll be really to be kind of ironic about it. I'll be good. At being that bad thing, because you already have i you've already self proclaimed or you've proclaimed me that, so I'm gonna just go ahead and accept it i'm gonna self identify that way now too, but the movie shows us you know very lightly and gently that it's not that it, you you have to change your way of thinking and understand that it's about your choices. it's about what you do that matters, and that you may not win everybody over at once. And it may not happen instantaneously, but that you're going to know because you're going to experience that tail wag, and you're going to get that good feeling that comes from loving others and sharing with others. The whole snake pop, snake (laughs) the snake pop, (laughs) the whole push pop (laughs) thing with snake, that whole ongoing gag just was hilarious to me, and the way it wraps up is so cute and sweet. And I let out an audible, very quiet awe when he finally gives it to shark right because it was like you understand that there's something that is you know it's such a simple concept that kids learn from a young age most kids and if they aren't then why not get it from a movie that says sharing is caring right sharing matters and it makes making somebody else feel good will in turn make you feel good as well. Uh, And I thought the movie did such a phenomenal job of kind of working those themes in without being heavy-handed, without ever letting up on the fun and the lightheartedness of it. But they're there, and it's good messages. So I I thought that was well done.
0: I thought so too. What I look at when when I see this is that it goes through that whole process, and then at the end, the thing you want is for, quote, the good guys to win. And when you don't see that, but you see the bad guys willingly get arrested, not because of the thing that, they, that are, they're that supposed to be getting arrested for, which is stealing the, the big rock, the asteroid or the, the meteorite, but for everything else. And they're taking ownership of the choices that they've made And so by kind of owning up to that, they get arrested. And then ironically, not ironically, in a hilarious way, they get out early for what? Good behavior. And I don't think that the message is, well, go to jail and you'll get reformed. No, I think the message near the end is making the right decision means owning up to the mistakes that you've made and dealing with the consequences. That's another lesson that I'm trying to teach my son is that when you make a decision, and the consequences of that decision are not what you want. You have to live with those things. And that's okay because it's part of growing up. It's parting of living this life that you don't necessarily make the best decisions. You're going to fail. And so a lot of that sort of leans in to this movie. And so by the end, what we get is a different kind of resolution. We get the ability of these guys to serve their time. And the movie sets up the potential for a sequel where they're out, they've got the car back. I love that, that they that they get his car back. And then they're ready for their next adventure. Whatever that is, I'm excited for it because now you have resolution on multiple levels. You have, you know, Snake and Wolf who have sort of resolved their differences, but it hasn't changed their relationship to a point where they can't enjoy having breakfast <laughs> at a diner like they normally do. I mean, if you look at that, if you look at that opening shot, you could have made that a closing shot, kind of like with Rounders, where you you start and end not Rounders, I'm sorry, uh, the the John Favreau movie that I can't think of now, <laughs> that I love so much, Swingers, Swingers. Thank you, Rounders, Swingers ended with the errs. but you know that movie starts and ends with a conversation at a diner, and you know I think this movie could have done that just as well, where you have Snake and Wolf having this conversation at the end of the movie in kind of a a bookend version, but just having a different kind of tone. You know, the people around them are not huddled up in a corner while they're while they're having breakfast and they can still have that goofy conversation about being able to smell the air or taste the sounds or, or whatever it is. That's what I love about watching these characters kind of unfold is that now I'm ready to see them as a crew. I mean it was a crew up. <laughs> that opening sequence was a crew up. And being able to watch them grow through this and where it could you know potentially lead really does excite me
1: me too and that's all i've really got on this one other than to say the one thing that i didn't love about this is the ongoing fart joke i understand that kids movies just have to have fart jokes in them these days it's just a thing and so it's going to be there but my goodness gracious is that in the books does he the piranha have like toxic fart <laughs> ability because it's it plays out like a superpower essentially the way he well uses it, it turns
0: into a superpower i mean it's obviously not something that was asked for um you know it's kind of like it's not it's not the hero we deserve but it's a hero we get that kind of thing uh, i don't remember that being the case but again we're we're rerunning through the through the books we're only on the second yeah. one so okay as of right now it's not a quote superpower it's a thing it. it's just
1: in In everything. The game I'm playing or the game interviewing the developer of Tomorrow for the Games We Love podcast, that game has different classes and you can have your characters assigned random traits and sometimes they'll give you bonuses and sometimes it'll be like a negative thing to you. Sometimes it'll just change up your spell into something else. Well, this particular thing we ran into last night changed your special skill into you had gas like that was the trait the trait is and so instead of using or casting like a spell or you uh, some sort of special ability when you would hit the button this giant you know toxic fart cloud comes out from under your character the interesting thing was i was annoyed by it but as i'm going through the game i used it a couple times and it was like an you know damage over time spell essentially like it was a massively powerful thing and i can just hop across the map using my like fart cloud and to like jump over drop it and then run away and it would just kill something and it i started laughing and i felt really really hypocritical over it but
0: (laughs) (laughs) i guess when it affects you personally it's okay right yeah i guess so yeah
1: so occasionally it works but yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. Great movie. Excited about it. And I hope that it continues to do well at the box office. I think I saw that it did get number one for this weekend, which Yay. is really awesome. I'm pretty yeah. sure that it did because it's a very big weekend. Uh, you know, the other kind of two big movies are both indie in nature, The Unbearable Way to Massive Talent and The Northman, but also both pretty highly critical, acclaimed and loved. So for this family movie to swoop in and get the majority of the box office would be a big deal and hopefully propel DreamWorks to make sequels. Absolutely. And
0: that's going to do it for us on this edition of Feelin' Film. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check us out in our Discord server. we got a letterbox link that shows great reviews coming from various members of that group. So you want to check that out. That'll do it for us. Aaron, thanks for this great conversation. We'll talk soon.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening very active in both places and would love to chat.
0: And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you.
1: Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive
0: and keep feeling filmed.